two elves, a fairy, walk into a studio. And the shit gets real silly, real quick, and real playful. That fairy elf combination is so comfortable with speed and ideas and playfulness. And that is what today's about. We have the beautiful Leela with us today. And Cami Carlo is also joining us. And we have all kinds of answers to your cues. So let's get into it. Hi, I'm Kieran Trace. Welcome to Humans Decoded, a story of hobbits, fairies, elves, dwarfs, gnomes, and humans. If you get lost at any point, there is a deep dive on all the different avatars in episode one. It includes notes. Thank you for joining us in a fun little chat about the vast potential of our human makeup. Hi, Leela. Hi, Karen. How are you today? Good. Good, good. We have some juicy questions from the decoders. Um, hi, Cam. Hi. You have compiled some questions for us today. Yep. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So some great questions from the decoders. Do different avatar types come forward as helpers, saviors, teachers, heroes for particular times in history or are we all needed for different parts or conditions of a particular time or moment in history? Hmm. I think that's a kind of a cool question. Do we have different avatar types that come in as a savior or as a teacher at different times in history? Um, I think, I think not. I think all the avatars are always really here. I mean, I'm coming from a non-dual, I mean, I'm a non-dual teacher, so I don't believe in times of history um, so deeply. <laughs> For me, it's, it's now. Um, there's a deep nowness, and all is here, and all is here now, all is here then. So that linear story of time and the urgencies or importance of different time periods doesn't sort of, um, I don't hold that system. So I can't answer from there. But where I can answer from is to say that that all the diversity of the different avatars is always a benefit. Um, and so in any given moment, like now, um, there's many different avatars that have roles as teachers or helpers or saviors. And that can be on a very large scale to a big audience or a very small scale to a small audience, I don't think the value or importance changes. Um, and so, so the, it's the diversity that's key and it's the diversity. It's all the avatars together that creates, um, such a beauty. Um, so if I'm looking at, certain periods of time, for instance, like, I don't know, Braveheart. Um, I don't know what the real name of that guy was, but the Mel Gibson movie was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that character, we have a dwarf, right? That's a warrior um, type of hero who sort of comes in and helps uplift the Scottish people. Or something we've talked about in the show a lot is like the the Chicago Bulls, the basketball team in the nineties that was enormously impactful for, um, for, for 
athletes that would not otherwise be performing on a big stage. So whether that's athletes of color, whether that's athletes coming from a, a underprivileged background, um, the, where you had that, that combination of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman, and you had this diversity and they were just the greatest of all times. I mean, they remain the greatest of all times. Um, it really opened the door for these young athletes. And also, obviously, the Michael Jordan, those of you that maybe have seen the Air movie or whatever, Michael Jordan had an enormous impact on athletes getting percentages of um, the swag, percentages of the of the merchandise and things like that. Prior to this, the athletes did not get that. Um, so really, really changed the um, horizons for underprivileged athletes. So there's a real sort of hero showing up. Michael Jackson is, or Michael Jordan, sorry, Michael Jordan is an elf and Dennis Rodman is a fairy and Pippin is a hobbit and it's sort of this combo. I think in our lives we might have heroes or teachers or saviors that can come in also um, and really impact our lives and different avatars might come in at different stages of our lives and the diversity also is really helpful. I'm, I'm thinking currently um, one of the top world top tennis players is a very young boy, Canadian boy, um, Augur, I always get it wrong, Alassam, I think it is, Augur Alassam. Um, he's a young uh, French-Canadian man and he is rated, I don't know, top, he's in the top five of the world tennis players and he has hired a dwarf coach um, now, Augur Alassam is an elf. He's very clearly an elf. He's very innovative in his tennis play. He's very strategic. Um, he's very fluid. He's moving very fast on the court. Obviously, they all move fast, but different um, than a dwarf would move. And he's got a dwarf coach, Tony Nadal. Nadal is the number one tennis player in the world, and Tony is his... Um, Uncle, excuse me if all you tennis pros, I don't know as much. But anyways, <laughs> here's a young, up-and-coming, elf-moving avatar, and he's picked a coach who is a dwarf. And um, the the diversity there, I think, is really helpful. The principleness, um, the how you show up on the court, how you show up consistently, how you show up as a very strong warrior, as an aggressor, uh, as a real, you know, like mentally tough. Like those are what the dwarf coach brings to this young elf. Um, and I think that that's really going to be a beneficial support. I think that's going to be an enormous help um, in a coach at this stage um, of Augur Alassem's career. Now, he's a very young man. I think later in his career, um, as a tennis pro, he may want another elf coach. It may be much better to help really stylize that innovative way he moves around the court or really strategically around the court. Another elf who was a coach might be great. And that's what you see in the, in the Michael Jordan era of the Chicago Bulls. You see an elf um, coach to the elf to, to Jordan, you know, and because later in the career when you're really, really actualized, 
the same avatar can really help you pull out those strengths. But early in the career, when you're starting to develop, you know, yourself, having these other avatars help you and support you, I think are really beneficial. So I really think that we can look at any time in our life and we can look at the, the way that people helped us or, um, or teachers or even heroes um, in our own lives. And they may have come across from different avatar types than our own. And it was that very diversity that helped sort of open your eyes um, and, and helped you sort of pick up a conditioning that we talk about picking up a conditioning, but the conditioning is beneficial to you. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that's what I would say. Leela, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think it really brings up that question of, how and when and where do we pick up conditioning, right? Like, we start out somewhere <laughs> and then we move through some, you know, things. And eventually, if we're lucky, we get to land in this deep, authentic place, right? And then it's a, uh, maybe some of the conditioning remains still useful. And it's something I've been deeply looking at because I have this huge hobbit conditioning and I was like where does that come from I don't have hobbit parents for instance and I remember as a child I was super elfy I was so in my head and I was always imagining like other worlds you know <laughs> fantasy worlds to escape to I basically spent my childhood um reading books and eating chocolates and I was really that's ideal for an elf child. It was, books, yeah, it was great. That part was really great. But I can see that there has been sort of a, a movement to escape, like a movement towards what is safety, where is safety, because it cannot be here, you know. So there was this elfy but very la-la way to move in the world, which wasn't... It's not greatly aligned, right? We can agree on that. <laughs> mm -hmm, but still, mm -hmm. lots of elf. Like, and also, I was really comfortable in school, even though it was way too slow. But I loved it. I loved the thinking and this being in the head, not in the body. That felt just so natural to me. <laughs> and then later on in my life, the escaping into sort of other worlds became partying and drinking and just, you know, not wanting to have much to do with everyday life that seemed so heavy and boring. <laughs> and then, yeah, and I would say university also encouraged that being in the idea sort of state like I loved sitting in in rooms and just thinking about philosophical or theological concepts and yeah man everything just not in the body and then I started my first real job and noticed quite quickly that this whole escaping into fantasies and escaping quote-unquote reality, it's not very sustainable. Like, it's burning me out on top of the fast pace that I have um, in my job and that, that my job at the time was a news journalist and that it de demanded that high pace, right? So I was like, hmm, 
that's not going to end well here. <laughs> and I was looking for, or I already started this love story with yoga that started in my early 20s. I was looking there for other ways to feel safe, basically. And I found lots of great practices to be grounded and to really come home to the body and really be in the body, which is beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I think that's where the whole hobbit part of like, okay, eat regularly, don't skip meals, <laughs> eat enough, drink, um, move, be in nature, etc. where all that came in and it was great. But then, you know, I mistook that as safety. I was like, okay, so it must be grounded in order to be safe. So that hobbit groundedness where yoga is just so focused in that hobbity yes. place. So it became, instead of my elfy ways as an escape, like looking for safety in my elfy escape ways, oh, more sustainable is looking for safety in a hobbit way. Yeah. And that hobbit yeah. system is now safety. And we're constantly looking for a habit or a routine or some kind of external practice to create safety. Exactly. It was sort of a, a controller, like wanting to make sure safety is here as if it isn't already here, right? And it, that was also that, what threw out yeah, it's the pulling whole pulling you away. Part. Yes, yeah, it's pulling it you away from all the authenticity of yourself, exactly, which is ultimately exactly. where you're going to most feel safe and come home. Exactly. And so, you know, I've spoken about it on this show, how many of these hobbity ways they had to go <laughs> or they are slowly going, but not all of it, because some of it is really useful. It really serves me in, 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 my authenticity, actually. And so I'm interested in this. Good conditioning. Bigger freedom. Yeah. yeah. Good conditioning, but free. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Like, it is a very not, good question. Yeah. Where do you pick up a condition, a habit, a behavior that might really fit from another avatar, but actually helps you come home to yourself? Yeah. That that there's a balance, there's a diversity by having these influences. And it's interesting because we pose that question about like, who are you living with? Like what other avatars are in your space all the time, <laughs> creating that diverse space for you and how are you navigating that? And I think what you're saying is it wasn't that it was a person, your parents weren't hobbits. It was this love of this practice and the practice is so hobbity and, and this enormous like devotion to this made that type of behavior and habit so influential in your world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's a great question for everybody listening. <clears throat> like, do I have any practices that are building conditioning currently? Like not to point to it and saying this is bad, but just to be aware of it. I think that's a great inquiry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we did ask this question from everybody, um, like what other avatars are you in with day in and day out or, and, and or Leela's 
opening that conversation for you guys to like, or what kind of practices or devotions or loves. Um, it makes me think, Cam, you spent many years married to a hobbit, um, but a hobbit who acted very elfy. <laughs> and at the time you were a fairy uh, acting very hobbity. <laughs> so there's many, <laughs> we've got fairy, elf, hobbit, maneuvering in that house um but so you know what was what's that like was it you know how was that like is it hard to make decisions or get projects going i think it's possible that his elfy conditioning and my hobbity conditioning probably meant that we met in the middle um <laughs> yes by your <laughs> yeah okay yeah and listening to Leela got me thinking about where my hobbity conditioning came and we moved around a lot growing up so every three or four years we'd change countries uh, I think I moved schools 13 different times so I think <laughs> I sort of mistook anything that felt cozy slash hobbity as home like oh okay I can land here and sort mm -hmm. of pause um but yeah, when I lived with my hobbit ex-husband, we lived in a converted dairy farm. Um, so I took on cottage fairy, um, which kind of felt natural at the time. So our decor was very cozy, lots of frames on the walls and fairy touches here and there, like florals and cushions. Um, but then it's funny, since we've lived apart, how much our true avatars have come through. Um, so he's transformed the same dairy farm flat into an absolute hobbit hole. <laughs> so <laughs> there's now a huge wooden table with chunky wooden legs and a leather armchair you could lose yourself in. And the blinds are never open, which used to drive me crazy. Because <laughs> 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 it was on the ground floor, but he likes it dark. And then the apartment where I live now is lighter and airy and floor-to-ceiling windows, lots of color and whimsy everywhere. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and sometimes we would clash around food kind of movements. So if I get hungry, it's a very fast flow for me. I'm hungry now. I fix <coughs> something quickly and I eat it. Um... But if the hobbit was doing the cooking, then he needed to potter for about 35 minutes. So cleaning the kitchen, touching things, <laughs> <laughs> taking his time before there was any notion of actual food prep. Um, so I would just perish. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I didn't understand why it took so long. So I ended up snacking a lot in the meantime. Um, and now it makes sense, but back then I didn't realize that that was a hobbit movement and that I was a fairy needing sugar stat. <laughs> so a way that we actually worked quite well together, that the fairy combo was complementary, was um, we used to do film projects together. And so he'd come to me with a roster of ideas and then we'd decide which one we were going to greenlight and then my specialty was starting the project. 
So I'd come in with like this galvanizing energy, like, go, go, go. <laughs> I'd get everybody involved. I'd get everybody excited on board and sort of like push us off shore, you know, like we're going, we're going. And then I love it. You started the party. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah, you know, it was locations like costume shopping, you know, so many different things to do. Um, and then at some point I would lose steam. And then that's when the Hobbit would really come into his own because he could really do the execution and see the project all the way through. Um, and I think also his elf conditioning meant that he really had a vision. Um, and so he could really sort of play that leader role all the way through to the end. And then when we finished the project, I'd come back in and do the marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Another party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell everybody about the film. Tell everybody about the thing we did. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was fun. I mean, I, I was, you know, on board throughout. Um, but we sort of took turns um, kind of leading or... Yeah, I, th I think our sort of different strengths were able to shine in a very compatible way. And it sounds like even your conditionings, the good condition, like the elements of the conditionings that were positive conditionings shined too. Um, because like you're talking about your partner had this elf conditioning and so that would give him a vision. You know, like it's a new concept we're really just bringing in today that we're really, you know, that Lila's really invite us to think about is like what what are we what conditionings are you picking up that are influencing us and beneficial to us and so it's interesting to see that parts of your fairy nature were really shining with the hobbit nature of your partner and worked really well together on a creative project at these different places but then also to see like parts of your conditioning or parts of his conditioning that you had taken on as influential or useful also worked well together. So the diversities, I think, coming in, it's cool. It's really cool. Such a <laughs> do we have more example. questions, Cam? Yes, we do. So Nicole wrote in, and her little guy is a fairy. So she says, it took a while, but I've been able to see that my five-year-old son is in the avatar of a fairy. He really likes flowers and shiny things. He's drawn towards shiny art pieces, metallic markers, gems, and jewels. Understanding the fairy avatar has helped me unwind my judgment of his food choices, which revolve around carbs and fruit. <laughs> I've, been <laughs> I've been stocking up on dried fruit and nuts, and he loves to snack on these. He looks Yay, so damn good. <laughs> He looks so damn good in bright, bold colors. I also see how he collapses after being on the move. <laughs> he has big highs and lows and seems to quickly bounce back. He also seems to delight in mischief. <laughs> Seeing it as mischief instead of taking it personally has been helpful for me. At preschool, it sounds as if my son is struggling and the teacher is scratching his head. The teacher has been giving him some options that don't involve sitting down because he's not willing to stay still during the five to ten minutes 
when there is circle time. We're also hearing from his preschool teacher that he's not respecting others' personal space. He has been tickling <laughs> other kids. Sometimes they like it, but most of the time they don't. And my son really reacts when they tickle him back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just so, so much fairy all over here. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I can really see how fairies can be misunderstood. So do you have any ideas for how I can support him to respect others' boundaries? Can you share mm. any other insights for being with fairies? Thanks for the podcast. It's such a gift. Mm. What a beautiful illustration of a little fairy person. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little bit hard for me to talk about how this fairy can thrive in this inauthentic environment like school. <laughs> um, I've been wanting to hear you talk about school for a long time, Kieran. I'm so glad it's finally coming up. <laughs> it's a hot topic. It's so pressurized on every front. So mm. traditional school, um, whatever the, whatever, you know, like if you're in New Zealand or if you're in Germany or if you're in Switzerland, they're all relatively similar in the format and it's really based in, um, it moves very, very slow. The large class size means there's enormous amounts of relationship to navigate. Um, and often even in the bigger class sizes, you can sometimes have helper teachers or helper parents come in and out, which is just more relationships for little people to be trying to navigate. So there's these very complex social situations going on. And then peer social interactions, which are profoundly difficult, highly codified. Um, so it's an enormous amount of relationship. It moves very, very slow. And then there's naturally a harmony that, that has to be working in the classroom in order to get through the day. Um, so, you, so you're really looking for a docile child as opposed to a rebel child, right? You need a docile child who has a normative brain and is comfortable in a slow environment and can navigate new relationships. So you're talking about is your kid extroverted, slow moving, and um, well behaved, like docile. That's the child that school is built for. So we're really talking about like well-behaved hobbits <laughs> or right. <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's what the classroom is built for. And so if that's not your kid, <laughs> and I don't think the three of us were either of that in school, um, then that's not, then we're going to be a disruptive force in the classroom. <laughs> you just yeah. are. And, and then you're going to, um, enjoy it or not, you know? So traditional school is really great if you're those things, right? But <laughs> if you're, it's not ideal for our really quick, very flowing, collapsing social butterfly of a fairy. Obviously, as you see, a fairy doesn't want to sit for circle. They don't even want to sit for mealtimes. Like fairies just need to be in their own flow. They want to wear costumes. Fairies want to buck the norms. Elves want to buck the norms. Um, our fairies, of course, the fairies want to kiss and hug and tickle all, all the kids. And they want to make mischief. And so it's just so hard to do this in a normal classroom. It's not built for them. 
Uh, however, there are alternative school programs and that can be real. And then, then that uniqueness is really celebrated. And that's mm. the beauty of alternative schooling is that uniqueness is celebrated. It's like the reverse. <laughs> um, you have these very small class sizes and then you have programs that specialize in different skills, for instance, like arts programs. And then kids can get all the reading, the writing, the arithmetic, but it's in, in the shape of, you know, if it's arts, it's maybe performing and painting and gathering, or if it's an outdoor program, um, you know, it's through hiking and, and botanicals and collecting. And these, these programs are built for the rest of us. Um, and I think sometimes parents can feel enormously pressurized with this storyline, um, because then you're like, as a parent, I have to go find this program or there's this, or they can be very expensive or my world doesn't have them, you know, and in there, it's like, I I agree with you. Life is not fair to parents. We have an enormous we pressurize parents to have a very intimate relationship with their child these days. It's not the 1960s or even the 70s or even the 80s parents. Parents in 2023 are expected to look after the emotional needs of their children. And that's a very intimate relationship. But you're working with cultural systems that are still from the 1960s or the 1940s, like schools, like churches, like, you know, community programs that are based in this idea that you're not intimate with your child. In 1960, your kids were allowed to like run out onto the streets in the day. They walked themselves to school. They played with the friends in the neighborhood. As a parent, you looked after their physical needs where you provided food and shelter. <laughs> and the kids played outside. <laughs> yeah, right? Kids in the 80s grew up like this, right? Kids yeah. in the 90s, way more free range than what we would expect today. You know, and today it's like now we expect the parents to be with the child at all times, driving them to school. We want the parents in the classroom, volunteering, monitoring as a survival system because the class sizes are so big. It is not beneficial for the, for the teacher. It's not beneficial for the parent. It's not beneficial for the kids mm-hmm. when the parents are in the room. It's just not. But it is the schools with no money desperate to have an extra hand. Um, so if you have a normative, if you have a very well behaved hobbit or human or dwarf, please, by all means, normal school will work well for them. They'll enjoy it. Um, <laughs> if you happen to have a more quick flowing kid, uh, or a rebel child, like for myself, I was a real rebel. Um, and rebel children, we are more interested in efficiency than rules. We don't flag rules. We don't notice them. We don't notice the the majority flow pattern. We're looking for the efficient flow pattern. So rebels are always doing what is the what is the efficient way from A to B for anything. And then it goes against the grain of the, the majority flow most of the time. Because the majority what, flow isn't an efficient flow. Um, what did that look so like tough. for you in school? Oh gosh, it looks like me constantly like ten like 10 or 30 seconds after the bell rings, I walk in the front door of the school and then I race down to the classroom and into my seat. So I'm two to three minutes late <laughs> because I didn't walk in the, like I'm in the playground until I hear the bell ring and then take a second to finish and transition my playtime. 
<laughs> and then I'm and then I'm streaming through, and I don't care about bells or seats or it, and I don't track that this that the hallway's empty and mm. that my and the front door's making a clang. None of that's being tracked for me. The only thing I'm tracking is like get in the seat, but I'm two minutes late and I've disrupted the class. Mm, mm-hmm. And then it's so slow for me. I think did you guys have that experience? Like. It was yeah. so slow at school. <laughs> like, I was in everybody's business all the time. <laughs> Same. Because I was crazy bored. I was Same. honest to God. This is a true story, y'all. I had keys to the school in grade eight given to me by the principal. And I had signing authority to sign for, like, packages or guests coming in because I was so often in the principal's office in his business, like not like having been called to the principal office because nobody knows what to fucking do with me. And I'm like helping him so- do his job in the day. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's yeah. so good. In my grade eight, no, grade nine, I would go, I would leave, I would sign myself out of class and go into the hallways and open those big display cases and I would set them up. As a scene, I'd get me and I'd write my friend Ron at a class and he and I would go into the display case and he would be like strangling me or trying to pull my pants down and we'd freeze in that position and then the bell would go off and I'd have these scenes in the display case. Like that's what I was doing at school. I was in everybody's business doing this like everything because I was so bored. Yeah. I can relate a lot. Like the first couple of years were so boring. Like when the other kids were learning how to read and write, I was either sleeping in this little nook we had (laughs) reading books or I remember one time I walked home because I was like, what what am I doing here? I can already read and write. And those idiots are taking forever. (laughs) Like being the arrogant elf child I was. Yeah, and I so think you just I took yourself home. You're just like, whatever. I'll come back when they I all was get like, back. Yeah, to I was speed. like, oh, this is so useless, and the teacher's not. I mean, I might be smarter than her, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I would have, like, it would have been really good to skip a couple of grades, but my parents were, you know, the human and the gnome. They didn't know. So I had to stay in there. And I think as a result, I kind of half-assed the the rest of my school. Like, I always loved it because it's so, it's thinking, it's ideas, it's like concepts, it's learning. And that's the part I loved about school. And when I think about school in my teenage years, that's been so, oh, oh, so delicious. (laughs) Because you could learn. Kenny, what was it for you at school when you were yeah. a younger child? Or even what would be ideal for you? Because I moved schools a lot and often, I think I kind of learned what the system was and then figured out what the minimum effort requirement was. <laughs> <laughs> and then put that in. 
<laughs> I think in a way I was like a master manipulator. <laughs> I bet. Because I came off as a very, very well-behaved hobbit, but then I'd be up to mischief. <laughs> and nobody ever found me out. <laughs> wow. Right. You performed well-behaved hobbit. Yeah. and But but the true, you, the true focus of your day was mischief. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing to do was um, with my best friend. I think we were eight years old. We were in uh, catechism classes and we would just leave <laughs> and walk the halls and uh, switch off the bathroom lights in the girls' toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and every single time you'd click the switch off and then you just hear like unanimous screams. <laughs> and then we'd run away. <laughs> and uh, I never felt guilty for missing uh catechism classes i've got to admit <laughs> right because in guatemala that was part of the school system hmm. so okay clearly the whole system wasn't you know set up for either of us no i think i think that's what we're really looking for an opportunity so as a parent you can use a lot of the tools that we teach on the regular to just really hear your kid's delicious yes. What does your kid want for school? And then be available that that might be around. It might be there. Something that we teach all the time and we, we have the data is that life will support you. It's not you as a parent having to make everything happen, but life can come up under you and support mm. you. So you may not be aware of programs of charter schools, of alternative schools. You may not be aware that some of them are very low cost or very affordable. Like you may not have that in your awareness at this moment, but if you can put in your awareness what it is you would desire that would be this deep hell yes for your child mm. in terms of their schooling, what they want, and just sort of allow yourself the openness that it could be available. You don't even have to like find it, like just let it come up under you is a real possibility for school. Um, and if, and in the meantime, if you have this beautiful little fairy child, um, you know, maybe he can take a bracelet making kit to school and then spend time when he's like not wanting to sit and circle and things, making little <laughs> bracelets for his friends or little crafts or little pictures or painting rocks or something. Then he can give them to the kids. Um, the mischief is always going to happen. You cannot take that from a fairy. I mean, that's just going to happen. Sorry. So he, there's some level of surrender in your household and in the school system <laughs> to like, he's going to run the halls and turn off lights on kids and, and tickle them or pinch them and react very badly if they turn it back on him. It's just, that really is it. But if he's caught, I mean, if he's little and he's five, one of the, uh, you know, a great thing that you can offer in your household and maybe your teacher could do it is just to have the kids sit on their hands. And if the kids have to sit on their hands for like two minutes straight or three minutes straight, it's, it's a good consequence of trying to keep their hands to themselves, trying to teach them to keep their hands to themselves. He's just going to keep doing it, but that is a great consequence and he might learn to manipulate better. Because really, <laughs> that's what he's going to do. Um, <laughs> and I think throughout his life, he's just going to find his own surrender, just like Cammy's talking about here, right? Like where 
If you're fast and you're quick and you're innovative and you're a mischief maker and you love to sparkle and you love to create, um, that's going to go on. <laughs> and there are programs, there are school programs that really celebrate and really make that available. School doesn't mean you have to be this sort of extroverted, well-behaved, slow-moving kid. In those schools, they're looking for innovative ideas and they're looking for that sparkle and they're looking and, and, you know, schools that can channel the mischief into this fabulous strategy. Um, so my invitation is just like, don't let your own pain body of having to be the perfect parent, uh, make you walk past, um, opportunities of ideal education for your kids mm. and, I would have loved, and I think we can hear it from Leela. I mean, I would have loved to have an alternative school program that was based in really cool ideas and lots of ideas. I was jealous of my cousins who went to the science um, center for school every day mm. and they could do, they could pick their own learning from the mentors at the science center. And I was just so jealous that they got to do that. And I think you know, I found my own after school programs and certainly, you know, until these alternative programs come up, let, let the after school and preschool, before school and weekends, let kids pick programs that'll stimulate them. Um, I started training at 12 years old <laughs> at um, Parks and Recreation on human development patterns. Hmm. And, you know, I got to, it was a way to channel being in people's business <laughs> and understanding <laughs> their systems and the parks and recreation uh, really trained me tra and trained me well. So I spent all my weekends and evenings from the age of 12 on, um, tw you know, 12 to 15 taking really advanced human behavior courses and trainings and teaching and, and working in those environments. Cause I would, I would work as a camp counselor. I worked as, so, you know, I found my own outlet that way, mm -hmm. but man, was I jealous of my cousins who got to go to alternative schools at the science, um, at the science center. Holy. I think this is, yeah. Even if you sort of missed quote unquote, going to that great school as a child, there's so many opportunities here and now. Like maybe this is a place to talk about retreat. It can be a little bit of an alternative oh. school container for us adults. <laughs> no? <laughs> yes! Retreat! Y'all, retreat's coming up. We sell out and we've sold a lot of seats. So hopefully if you wanted to come, you'll come. But absolutely, I set up the container of retreat so that every avatar's need is met. And... Um, it's a really, really fun and innovative space in which you get to be in a larger community of people. Now, granted, these are adults and these are very cool adults who have a lot of self-awareness, but it's an environment with a, with a group of adults um, to learn really deep, deep learning, obviously. But you get the experience of being alone in your own flow and together in a really sane community. And the combination, I think, is incredible and really templates the opportunities for us, for sure. What do you think about retreat, Cam? Was it, is it a good environment for a mischief-making fairy? 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. I think it was one of the first times I realized how okay it was to be myself and how much it fed the group. It was one of the first group environments where it felt like my yes, my authenticity is absolutely wanted and that is so invaluable to have that template I mean it's just one week or 10 days but it, like the experience kind of feeds you throughout the year it's incredibly valuable and it really is like the coolest adults <laughs> I mean you call it summer camp it's so much fun <laughs> Lila what's your experience it's very a fast similar. idea elf yeah, it's very similar to what Cami is saying. This, like, I can show up, however, um, in this sort of group delicious context, and it's very uh, together alone. And one image that is popping up as I'm speaking is this image of um, not having been fed really well, and I had this big collapse, and I think I laid down on the terrace under under the table. It was like no no judgment there and so supported. And like even these um, sort of hiccups or these collapses are inside of the delicious group container, which is so different from traditional school, right? There you have to behave and you cannot lay down. You don't, you cannot throw temper tantrums. <laughs> Yeah. And also witnessing like each of us moving in their authenticity, but together. So it's not everybody on their own um, doing their thing. Even though it might look that way, there's a, there's such a connection. And that is, oh, yeah, I think that's the richness to be able to come and just like, just drop in to this event or this space. And suddenly what's being called out of you is your pure authenticity, which could be you, even though you're a 50-year-old, there's a five-year-old that's just wanting to eat cookie dough and and crawl on the floor. I don't know, whatever. I'm making it sound <laughs> crazy, but everybody's actually doesn't do that. But anyways, whatever is authentically called from you is, is being called out of you and de then deeply celebrated. And there's this, and you feel enormously connected mm -hmm. and so there's something about when the most authentic part of you is being called pulled out of you and then that is feels so loved and held and seen and connected that template provides such a rich environment to to really deepen and learn these tools and skills it's like it makes your apparatus so wide open to just absorb and deepen and pr bring in that self-awareness. So it kind of is like the best of all worlds in that case. I love I recommend. so much. Yeah, yeah 10 recommend out of 10. It. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's so great. Um, we'll put some details about retreat if you want to come and join us. And again, uh, we always sell out and the, so, and we're about 50% sold right now. So, um, definitely go to the website, check it out, mark it on your calendar, sign up for a payment plan if it's a bit expensive all at once, or just lay down your, lay down the cash and hold your seat. Um, 
Either way, it's so great. It was wonderful to play with you guys and hear their, like, and tell our school stories. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> the school class. Thank you. Thank you for this great question. <laughs> and I hope that it really enriches the conversation about just like the other avatars you're living with in the space and or other types of um, practices or devotions that are bringing in other avatar qualities. And so that there is a way that, that, that you can be conditioned positively or, or love there's an influence that's really beneficial to you by the diversity of all of this the richness of the avatars with the 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 sound of all the thinking and mischief and marshalling and you know like like bossing and like all of that is the <laughs> joy of life the juice of life Okay. Um, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, and just a reminder to um, check out the Facebook group because that's where some of these conversations have been initiated and it's really fun to flesh them out together. Um, so, yeah, it's a great resource. Also, if you don't know what avatar you are, you can get some input there as well. Um, but, yeah, keep keep writing in because it's so so delicious to hear your feedback and your thoughts and yeah the discussion is really fun over there on the humans decoded podcast facebook group (laughs) (laughs) and we'll link to that below thank you for listening we obviously love hearing what you think your feedback helps us make a better show for you to listen to so feel free to comment and you can do it at facebook which is the humans decoded podcast and um if you're not on social you can always email any questions to us at outreach at kieran and um thanks for listening we love you